welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Howdy folks, welcome back. If this is your first time listening, thank you for joining. You know, my typical guest is in the world of marketing life science instruments or reagents or services. I'm on a bit of a streak lately, dipping my toe into biopharma marketing. It's a little bit of education for me, but my intent is that what we talk about might be of interest to all of you in terms of different technologies or approaches you might think about. That said, today's topic is using artificial intelligence to target physicians at the moment they're thinking about which therapy to prescribe to a patient. So let's jump right into it. My guest today is Hemel Samaya. She is the U.S. and global brand leader for the oncology portfolio at Merck KGAA Darmstadt, Germany. Hemel, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Wonderful. Thank you, Chris. Very excited to be a part of your radio. So today we're going to talk about artificial intelligence in digital marketing for healthcare. And your job is marketing biopharma products to the healthcare providers. And you're using an AI engine to help deliver the right messages to the right person, the right channel, at the right time. You're going to tell us all about that. But first of all, describe some of the challenges um, of marketing to healthcare providers, particularly in our new, hopefully not permanent reality. Yeah, for sure. So uh, a few challenges come to mind, right, Chris, that are specific to the to the healthcare pharmaceutical world. The first one being we are very traditional in the way we do marketing. Uh, we are still very heavy on personal promotion and rely on our sales reps because a lot of our physicians have been very traditional in the way they engage with marketing and, and sales materials, right, and the way they gain knowledge. However, we have seen this trend evolving and, and that as much as that is a great thing that has also been a challenge because pharma is a slow industry and we haven't evolved or kept up with the trend in the last five years uh, with these evolving physician needs the second biggest challenge with pharma is data and compliance that comes with data right one you don't have a very good data source so you always have to parse data from a few different places and you still don't get to that hundred percent of the universe but today I would say you're able to get to like 60 to 70 percent of the universe which is far better than where we were five years ago but then the compliance challenge and and the HIPAA compliance kicks in because in pharma you're thinking about targeting physicians but also patients right and marketing your drugs directly to patients and any patient level data will require HIPAA compliance so you really have to be very careful in the way you you manage data when it comes to mostly patients but also to some extent physician level data and be very careful of of the different servers technology platforms, uh, uh, compliance regulations that, that you are applying to, to all of these different things to ensure that you are within the bounds of regulation and are not doing anything that can cross the line. So you can't be hyper-targeted when you think about your marketing within the pharmaceutical industry like you can with any other consumer industry. So just out of curiosity, I mean, first of all, I can understand lots of ways for things to go wrong with all that data, right? And you're talking about compliance. Does a pharma company, do they ever know who the patients are or are they only seeing the doctors who write prescriptions or even that? 
Yeah, so that's a that's a good question. So the pharma companies have visibility into every single physician, what kind of patients they have. The patients are de-identified though. So you can see the physicians who are writing the script. You can see everything the physician has done with that patient all the way from, hey, first this patient started on this therapy, then the scan was done. These were the results from the scan. Then the second therapy was started and so on and so forth. And again, you have to be compliant in the way you handle that data. But that is all at physician level. So you'll know all of this happened with Dr. John's Smith's patient, but you don't know who that patient is. The patient level information is de-identified. So now when you want to target patients, when I say you can be hyper-targeted, you can't go after a specific patient and do a banner ad or, or an email outreach to that patient, but you can do it at a zip code level, right? So you would say, hey, we think the concentration of patients, because Dr. John Smith is in this zip code and Dr. Ali is in this zip code and there are five other physicians and we can see from data perspective that they all have eligible patients, but the patients are de-identified. I'm going to go ahead and blast a banner ad to all the all the patients in this specific zip code. So that's what you can do. Uh, and that's really what we do. So that's the most targeted you can be with patients. But at physician level, you can go ahead and send a specific email to Dr. John Smith or Dr. Ali. That is completely okay to do. Right. Well, even that is a surprising amount of information about de-identified patients that's available to be smart about where to send your marketing exactly. information and spend your dollars, really, is what I'm talking exactly. about. Exactly, exactly. So um, what what does right time, right channel look like? Talk about how you figure out how to do this. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so it's very exciting, right? Like, like I said, in the last five years, and especially given COVID, it has been an inflection point for our industry, right? Where we have begun to recognize more and more that these physicians are consumers too. And let's target them like we would target any other consumer in any other industry, right? And how would you target a consumer in any other industry? You would target them when they are really looking for information about your specific brand or looking for information in that specific category, right? So when we think about that ideal goal of marketing within pharma, which is getting to that right physician at the right time, using the right channels and the right messages, what you're really looking to do is target the physician when the patient is in front of him, right? So leveraging data and real-time data feeds, and this could be based on the claims that are submitted into the insurance system to lab data and lab results that come through, and a bunch of different data sources, we connect some of those dots and say, hey, this is an eligible patient for a client's brand or, or for Merck's brand, for example. Uh, and as a result, let's target Dr. John Smith within 24 hours through an omni-channel approach to really convert him from becoming unaware about your brand to being an adopter of your brand for that specific patient that is in front of him, right? So let's take an example here. Dr. John Smith could have a patient with a specific mutation within lung cancer, right? Now, within 24 hours of that test result of, of that patient testing positive, you could... Through, through AI, get an alert feed um, into your system that says, hey, Dr. John Smith just recently, within the last 24 hours, has a positive patient. And then using data, you are able to say what kind of messages based on whether Dr. John Smith is an early adopter, a late adopter, some of, he, some of his historical behavior as it relates to prescribing certain brands versus not prescribing brands you know what messages will best resonate with Dr. John Smith, right? And you can go as granular as branded versus unbranded, certain keywords that Dr. John Smith is more, more likely to 
to react to in terms of opening an email or clicking on a banner ad as well as then you want to make sure the right channel is used to reach out to him right because now you know okay this is the right time because he has a patient in front of him this is the right message but how are you going to deliver that message to ensure that he truly engages with it you deliver that ma- message using the the sales rep being the personal promotion channel which is still very traditional as i said in pharma so you would send an alert to the local sales rep in their ipads and say hey go ahead and and talk to dr john smith about these messages because he has a patient and you will spend your time more wisely if you go there today or tomorrow right but in addition to the personal promotion you really have to think about digital and what how we think about digital now or where the industry is really going is to be very personalized in your digital outreach right so you would say dr john smith has affinity to what channel whether it's email whether it's banner ad whether it's direct mail let's say he has affinity to email and then within that you would say is he more likely to open an email that comes from a pharma company directly or that comes from a specific vendor like the medscape the biofarms of the world right so there are very established platforms or vendors that are that have a higher chance of engagement with a physician than a pharma com- company does right because they are providing a lot more educational material to the physician versus a pharma company is always just sending branded material uh, so within 24 hours again through the platform you are able to send out an email uh, via medscape to that physician even though the content of the email everything comes from the brand, uh, pharma company it's all branded it's specific to your drug but then you do ab testing with subject lines and things like that to truly personalize that specific channel that specific message and that specific time to that physician to increase your engagement for for that specific marketing both through sales rep as well as through digital so that omni channel outreach that you're doing to that physician and in turn um, you you get that higher prescription lift right so once the physician is engaged he's more aware he's aware at a time where he's thinking what should i do for this patient and as a result he'll write a drug hopefully about uh, he'll write a prescription about your drug for that specific patient so that's really how the whole thing comes together now for in some select cases what we also do is outside of just targeting the physician we'll also target the nurse the the physician's assistant the pathologist the pulmonologist everybody who is working with that oncologist to activate the entire multidisciplinary team and make them all aware of your drug and make them all knowledgeable about your drug because in some select offices it's not just the physician making that decision but sometimes the nurse influencing the physician on what to write for this patient or uh, the the pathologist basically giving in a report saying hey the patient is positive for this so likely this and this could work right so you want to make sure the entire multidisciplinary team is activated to increase your chances of that specific patient receiving your drug so that's really how the the whole thing in in at a very high level comes together. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the educational component about it. Um I think I mean a podcast or two ago, I can't remember where it was in my sequence I talked to Frank Dolan about um you know physician education and and so on. But and we're going to come back to that, but now I'm curious, well a couple things I learned when you say when a patient is in front of them, it doesn't necessarily mean literally in front of them, but of course a patient in oncology, let's take your field for example, they come in, then there are some tests. So there's a sequence let's say over a couple weeks, I'll be optimistic where things are happening and those are the touch points. You know, he's going to get results, he's going to talk to the pathologist. Exactly. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, in oncology, on average, between the first diagnosis and when a prescription of a drug is made, there are you get between 6 to 12 days. So, that's really your uh, window of opportunity when you want to target that physician and educate him as, as much as possible. Because within that window, you are receiving the test results. And sometimes we in our system would receive a te test result even sooner than the physician would because we get a direct alert from the lab, right? So, you are receiving some of those test results within that same window of opportunity. So you know there is a claim that's submitted when a patient went in for diagnosis and now you're constantly watching that that specific physician to see what other claims are coming in or what test results are coming in or, or what's going on. And then as soon as you know there is a positive patient within that window of opportunity, within 24 hours of us knowing that, we want to make sure through an omni-channel approach you're targeting that physician, right? You don't want to miss that window because you know if you miss that window, the physician will prescribe something or the other and you may lose that patient, right? So, absolutely. So, when I say when the patient is in front of him, it's not on that very day and with, in that very moment, but really within that window of opportunity. Yeah. So, now you mentioned um, that data, like getting data from the lab. So, that was my next question. Where does all the data come from? How How is that all set up that you have a window into all those things that are going on? Yeah. So, uh there, there are really two ways of doing that, right? And and both together is, is the ideal approach. One is looking back. Um, so there's usually historical data looking back three years or five years that you leverage um, and you say, hey, for every lung oncologist in the U.S., what does that channel affinity look like? What does that message affinity look like? Uh, what is the patient volume load? Um, so how important is this physician for us to continue to monitor? And then there is this incoming data, which is timely data that comes in, which is almost near real-time feeds. Sometimes these feeds are daily, sometimes weekly, just depending on within oncology in itself too, right? And also other therapeutic areas. What is the therapy area? How is data available? How, how many different data sources do you have to parse together? in order to come to that ideal universe. So depending on all of those factors could be a daily or, or a weekly feed. And uh, when it is a daily feed, I mean, literally, if a patient is, has a positive test result this morning, the lab is directly sending that feed into you that same day saying, hey, Dr. John Smith has a positive patient with a de-identified patient number. So those data feeds are going out to all the pharma companies. You've set up some arrangement with labs Correct. to say, hey, because we're interested in this and I'm imagining only on very specific kinds of tests or. Correct. No. Right. So data is very expensive in pharma, right? <laughs> Extremely expensive. <laughs> so you have to be as specific as possible um, in getting these data feeds. Uh, they do not go to all pharma companies today because not every pharma company has gotten to a place where they're thinking about AI and data in the way we are, right? Um, so they would only, I mean, of course, if a pharma company is thinking about it and purchasing that data specifically, will they get those data feeds? And then sometimes pharma companies can enter into exclusive agreements, right? So if I am in a very niche therapeutic area, even within oncology, right, and I have only one or two other competitors, then I will get into an exclusive deal with a lab and say, hey, you are only going to sell me data and not to my competitors to ensure that all of those patients that are getting identified by this specific lab, we have the first mover advantage 
in targeting those physicians, right? So there are a lot of different things you'll have to do with, with even when it comes to data to ensure that you're getting the right feed, you have the right exclusive agreements in place. Uh, and honestly, the, the, the most accurate amount of data needed to really understand that, yes, there is an eligible and a potential patient. So positive test results is easy, right? Because, yeah, that's a very accurate feed. But sometimes in, even within oncology or outside, it's not a test result that helps you determine. It's a bunch of different scans and, and side effects where certain therapies are getting prescribed for side effects and you are saying, hey, this patient is progressing and now my drug is going to be eligible because my drug is in a second line or a third line setting where a patient has progressed, right? So sometimes it can, can be very tricky to identify when there is a potential patient in front of a physician, uh, but there are ways to do that. Got it. So I think you answered my next question about how a sequence is triggered. You can fill me in if um, if I missed it, but I'm really interested in now you, well, I know why I asked that question is because when I, I watched your YouTube video and you talked about, you know, we're going to send them a message and if we don't get a response on that or the result we're looking for, we try something else. So I'm interested in both those things and the level of effort in content production, having all these subject lines and emails ready to go for all these different possibilities. Talk about that a little bit. Sure, yeah. So depending on the type of patient that is in front of the physician and the historical behavior of that physician, we decide what would be the story flow that will best resonate with the physician, right? And for every unique story flow, you don't need unique messages. A lot of times it is just shuffling the messages that already exist to ensure that your first hook with that physician, the first message that is going out, is the most relevant to that physician, again, based on the patient that is in front of him and based on his historical behavior, right? So continuing upon the example of Dr. John Smith, Dr. John Smith could be a... Uh, a writer of a competitor drug, right, and would have a patient that it has a positive test result versus Dr. Ali, who could have, who could just traditionally be using chemotherapy and not your direct competitor drug in oncology and just wants to continue using chemotherapy because he makes more money out of chemo, given it's an infusion versus an oral, or there could be 10 other reasons, right, why he could be a late adopter or something or the other, right? So now for Dr. John Smith, it's not so much, as a marketeer, my job is not so much to convince him to use an oral drug, right? My job there is, hey, you're already using an oral drug. You're already testing your patients to, to see which oral drug is the best fit. But guess what? My drug is better than my competitor. So how do I do that based on either direct competitive studies or just kind of focusing on the clinical data of my drug? So starting with the first message that is very data heavy about my specific drug, right? Versus with Dr. Ali, who is just a late adopter or who just doesn't do the test to even look at whether an oral drug is an option, but goes traditionally with chemotherapy. My first message, no matter whatever I tell him about the efficacy of my drug, is not going to resonate as well with him, right? What I really need to first tell him is, hey, your patient will do better if you start with an oral therapy and reserve chemotherapy for later lines. Right? So my first message will be different with Dr. Ali versus with Dr. 
John Smith. But my second, third, fourth messages can be very similar. With Dr. John Smith, I mean, the next message will be about safety and then the next message will be about dosing of the drug. And with Dr. Ali, if he engages with my first message around why oral makes sense, then I will give him the, the exact same messages, right? Then I'll tell him, hey, now that you understand oral is important, Let's talk about efficacy of my drug and then safety of my drug and dosing of my drug, right? So the messages will be very similar, but it's just the first hook that is very important. It's the sequence in which you're delivering is very important, right? So from content perspective, it's not that much of a heavy lift, but in but but it is very important that the first one or two messages are very personalized to what that physician prefers. Now, you brought up a, an important thing there, Chris, which was around subject lines, right? So usually... All the content in pharma has to be medical, legal, and regulatory approved, right? Because, I mean, in the U.S. with, with the FDA, but also globally, right, with EMA and other regulatory authorities, we are under very strict compliance regulatory guidelines, and we cannot make any claims that go above and beyond what the drug can actually do, right? So uh, anytime any email content or or direct mail content, anything is approved, all we do is usually have two or three different subject lines that we get approved through our medical legal re regulatory team, irrespective of whether you are doing this whole program, the AI data program or not, right? Usually marketeers will just get two or three subject lines approved because you know that getting any content approved is 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 a heavy lift so how do you repurpose the content you repurpose the content by keeping the body mostly the same but changing the subject lines now that works out very well in this specific scenario because what you then do is say for dr john smith you start with an unbranded subject line and and a specific content around efficacy if he did not engage with it after 48 hours you have a a different subject line, right, which could be a branded one that's already approved. So now let's switch and just use a branded subject line, but the exact same content. You're changing the subject line because that's the only thing he's going to see when the email appears in his inbox. And that's a hook again, right? And now if he did engage with a branded versus an unbranded subject line, in the future, you will start with a branded subject line first because you know that's where he has more affinity to. So that's how you, uh, the more you use this AI driven platform and and it's AI, machine learning, natural language processing, all of that coming together. But the more and more you use this, the the smarter your marketing and sales gets, right? So month six will look much better than month two because now you have more real world data about each of these physicians on your target list or each of these lung oncologists in the example that, that we are discussing, right? So I think that's really the core of it because at launch, uh, it's very easy for any drug to to have that, for, for most drug, I, I should say, to have that hockey stick growth, right? Because it's a new drug. There are a lot of physicians out there who are willing to try it. You have a lot of content to send out through your marketing materials. Your reps have access to offices because physicians want to learn about it because it's new. But once you get to that three to six month mark, most physicians now know about it, right? So now how do you continue to keep up with that growth becomes a challenge. And, and when you have more and more data about these physicians and can be more personalized in your outreach, then it helps helps to keep that growth uh, uh, to, to go in that hockey stick direction versus to steep down. Nice. So um, I don't have a great sense. I'm getting a better sense of how often a doctor might see a particular kind of patient who is a candidate for a specific drug. So um, my question is, how do you keep from overloading a doctor if every week someone's coming in who's a candidate? Do you keep selling them? Or if you see their writing, then maybe you don't need to. You must. It might be a segmentation question, really. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's that's a great question, right? And it depends on two things, uh, and one, one of which you hit on it, right? So the first thing I would say will depend on the drug and the marketplace. So if you think about lung cancer, again, it's a very, even though big bucket lung cancer feels like the same disease, it's become very personalized or treatment for lung cancer has become very personalized. So within lung cancer alone, you have about six or seven different mutations, right? And for each mutation, then you have three or four different therapies that, that can go for it. So for a mutation like Metexon 14, which which I am the brand, one of the uh, drugs within my portfolio, I would say a physician would see maximum two or three patients in a year not more than that so in in those cases you have less number of patients spread across a large pool of physicians because you have about 13,000 lung oncologists in the U.S., right? So in those areas, this platform can work really well because if a rep continues to go in every week or every other week, to Dr. John Smith to say the same story, but Dr. John Smith will not have a patient for the next six months, then he, Dr. John Smith will be bored and the rep will be bored, right? Because the rep is like, I continue to go in, but he just doesn't have a patient. But instead, a rep only goes in when there is a patient because now we have identified and we are also just sending all these branded messages and everything to Dr. John Smith digitally, only when he has a patient, when that patient is top of mind for him, when he's actively thinking about this specific class of drugs, then it becomes most relevant, effective, and efficient both for the physician as well as for the pharma company right you get the the bigger bang for the buck but then in certain uh, for for certain drugs even within non-small cell lung cancer right like Keytruda, for example. I mean, it's a big, bold drug out there that's used for maximum number of patients in, in a first-line metastatic setting, right? And lung cancer is uh, the second or the third largest form form of cancer, right? Just depending on what data source you're looking at. So in, in those cases, then you do what, what you had alluded to, Chris, earlier, which was segmentation, right? So then you say, hey, I'm going to use this targeted approach for only my late adopters or for only physicians who are still writing a competitor script or or something else. So then you would really segment and make it most meaningful and, and supplement that with your always on big, bold marketing tactics, right? Where you would say, I would still do a TV commercial that that is broadcasted a couple times a week on on this and this channel, right? Or I would still do a, a big, huge email campaign two, two or three times in a year or more, depending on, on what the brand is trying to accomplish. So you'd supplement that with it because then you want to make sure the physicians who are already using it continue to keep, keep up with that, right? Continue to use your drug more and more. But you really focus this targeted AI-based data approach for the physicians who have not yet bought into your story. Got it. And I'm curious about the decision-making process for doctors. I mean, obviously, you're persuading them. You're sending them education. They're writing prescriptions. It's not their money. So it's a different kind of buying decision, really. I mean, maybe it's it's better, like, that they just say, I think this will work better for my patient. The cost is not my problem, to put it. Maybe there's probably a better way to say that. But anyway. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, what does it look like? Because I hear about doctors sampling a product, and I'm thinking on oncology, it's not just you know take this for a week, right, and feel better. Like, what? I'm just curious about that. What does sampling look like? Yeah, so sampling still works well in oncology, um, right? Uh, because you have a lot of oral therapies, and you would give them samples, usually a one month supply or something like that. 
uh, it works well in two cases. One, if a physician, again, either is not using an oral drug or is using a competitor drug and you really think your drug can, can show him benefits either from efficacy or safety perspective, that will change this physician's opinion about your drug or get him to write your drug more and more. Then you say, hey, we're giving you a sample for a month. Try it out. Your patient will feel better, right? And feeling better is not cure. Feeling better is lesser side effects, better quality of life, um, progression, but at a slower rate than what it was before. So feeling better is, is just different in oncology versus other therapeutic areas. Uh, but you would give them a one-month supply. But then samples also work well because a lot of times there could be insurance delays, right? So now you're talking about metastatic cancer patients who are progressing very quickly. And a physician can say, hey, my patient is just progressing. There is insurance delay. I'm going to start the patient on chemotherapy, right? But And, and then once a physician would do that, they have to finish at least three or six cycles of chemo before they stop and then switch over to your therapy or any other drug. So in order to prevent that delay of that patient getting on your prescription, you would say, hey, if there is an insurance delay, I'm going to just give you a sample, right? So there are programs that you can design specifically for that uh, that as well. So I think sampling still works well in oncology. It's just uh, you have to be careful on how you do it. Um, and, and when it is a very niche indication within oncology, um, then sometimes it's very expensive to do sampling. So you, again, have to be very careful on how you structure your sampling strategy. Uh, but if it's done right, then you still get, get good ROI out of it. Yeah, that answered my question, the whole thing about going into chemotherapy, and then there is a, you know, you can't just stop it in the middle, right? Right. right. So then it makes it a different a different ball game. All right, let's, last question. Let's talk about physician education. How does that fit into everything you're doing, or is that all sort of broad-based, sorry, uh, long before you implement this program, or it goes on continually at some level? So I would say it, it goes along continually, right? So, I mean, even before a drug is launched, about six months before that, at least in the U.S. market, you can start doing unbranded campaigns in that disease therapy area, right? So for a therapy area that is niche and new, uh, so uh, like say it's a niche new mutation within within lung cancer, for example, you want to start priming the market and you would do a lot of unbranded education because your brand hasn't launched yet to ensure that the physicians understand they are testing for the specific mutation. They now know that there is a treatment that's going to come out. So you prime the market by, by doing that. And that uh, for for those six months when you're really focusing on unbranded, when branded has not even kicked in, you don't really need the AI, the data, all of that, right? You do the traditional marketing, You your reps can do a bit of it, but then you send out emails and banner ads and like just the big, bold, always on marketing is what we call it, right? But once you launch, right, as soon as you get approval, then they both work hand in hand uh, for, again, depending on the brand and depending on how competitive that marketplace is, depending on the amount of investment the company wants to make behind that brand and how important that brand is in the portfolio. It can go in, in a couple different ways, right? It can be heavy focus on this targeted approach uh, and, and some light always on uh, along the way, right, to, to continue to keep the, the share of voice in the marketplace going, or it could be 
both going there out going out there with both of them very strongly where you are doing this targeted approach but at the same time you want to make sure the share of voice across all different platforms for your brand is maintained right and you are still targeting the physicians uh, with big bold strategies when it comes to congresses when it comes to uh, webinars when it comes to a bunch of other always on marketing tactics so it 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 all comes together as a part of like the go to market model which is determined by how competitive the marketplace is and how important is that drug for that company because the more important the drug is the more the company is going to invest behind it and that helps you structure that go to market model nice well this has been very interesting thank you. i'm always as people have listened to this podcast for a while know i'm still learning about healthcare and i'm starting to find it well, I do find it fascinating about how these things work. It's so different than the other side of life sciences, which people know is sort of my background. But I'm also thinking about how those folks who maybe sell instrumentation can use the AI. Like I know it's possible if you have a lab full of mass spectrometers, you're getting data probably and figure out what kinds of samples people are running and target your things that way and so on. So I'm Very hoping it's relevant yep. to everyone Hamel Samaya I will uh, I'm gonna put a link to your LinkedIn if I may in the show notes anything else that we should point people to to learn more uh, I have a couple of different videos on my LinkedIn if those are helpful on this topic uh, that I felt before so feel free to direct them to those videos but uh, wonderful talking with you Chris and I'm very passionate about this topic so I can talk about it all day long <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks for, for joining me. I'm sure this type of AI will be moving into lots of areas of marketing, and it's possible we've all been the recipient of an AI-driven message already. My angle would be never forget the power of stories to include in your customer education, whether those customers are doctors or patients or scientists, what have you. Uh, you always will need a powerful story to really get people to buy into your message. If you enjoy this podcast, your colleagues will probably like it too. Please share it with a few of them. It'll be much appreciated. And I'll be back in a couple weeks with another interesting guest. Bye-bye.